Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. By now, I hope that you're in Isaiah chapter nine. Sarah Beth already read it for us this morning. I wanna read it again for us just to kind of make sure we have our framework lined up in our minds as we talk about this arrival of Christ Jesus. Imagine how hopeful this would have been to have heard this in the ancient of days. That the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light, verse two, and those who dwelled in the land of deep darkness on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation and you have increased its joy and they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest and they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor, Lord, you've broken it as on the day of Midian. And every boot of the tramping warrior in battle to mold and every garment will be rolled in blood and will be burned as fuel for the fire. The prophecy that the day is coming that all war will cease and peace will finally ensue. That's good news. And this is how it's going to happen. Pay close attention. Much of the world missed it. Much of the world is missing it. This is how it is going to happen. For unto us, a politician will be elected. For unto us, a general will be appointed. That's how we're going to get peace. That's how we're finally going to live in the world that we want to live in. We just got to get the right guy in the right seat. No, for unto us. A child is born, and for unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called. His resume is as follows. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He is the everlasting father. He is the prince of peace and of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will, let me repeat that, will do this. That's good news. And for all of this history, for all of this history, Throughout the whole Old Covenant, the people of God were clinging to the hope that one day that hope would be realized that God would finally send the one into the world that was going to finally bring peace. Now wonder everybody was standing out there on Palm Sunday based on the prophecy of Daniel with all the excitement because they had done the math and circled the dates on their calendar that like, this is the day. 
that the one that Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel promised. This is the day that he's coming. And so they stood out there at the mouth of Jerusalem while Jesus rode inside saddle on a donkey with 12 dusty old fishermen and everyone shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us. They believe because of what Isaiah has said. And you can see why that the way God is gonna bring peace between us and ancient Rome and bring peace on earth is he's gonna send a mighty warrior king that's gonna put it into all war. Or he's going to send a persuasive politician. God's going to do something like that. And Israel had already decided in their mind how they were going to be saved. And then when the real Savior showed up, he stared them right in the face. He served them meals. He laughed with them and he cried with them. He went to elementary school with them and they missed it. God was here and he was with us. And he was setting out to bring peace that was everlasting and unending but we had convinced ourselves that the peace that we needed was peace here on earth. Israel had convinced themselves that the peace that they needed was peace between them and Rome. <laughs> but no, when God stepped into the world, he was making a way so that we could have peace with him. Because ever since sin entered into the world, we had been separated. The Bible says we were at enmity with God, which means we were at war with him. And God knew that as a holy God that he is, that he couldn't lower his standard of holiness so that we could be acceptable to him, which left him with one option. If he can't lower his standard of holiness, because then he wouldn't be holy, then he was going to have to make us holy so that we would be acceptable to him. And according to the old covenant, the only way to pull that off was blood. Problem is, there was no blood pure enough no blood powerful enough, no blood sufficient enough in lambs and bulls and goats to make a way for us to be right with him. And so God stepped off the throne of heaven, put on skin, moved into our neighborhood and poured out his own blood. So pure, so undefiled, so powerful that it wouldn't just cover our sins for a time, but it would actually wash them away once and for all making peace for us by the blood of his cross, Colossians chapter 1. This is good news. But Israel missed it. Matter of fact, even to this day, a lot of Jewish folks are missing it. They, they're still waiting on the Messiah. Reason why? Because there's not peace on earth yet. The real Messiah is going to bring peace on earth. Listen, we don't, we, we don't need peace on earth. It's because of the unrest of earth that we realize our need for a savior. If everything was just clicking along our way, then we would just go moseying along as if we didn't need God like many of us already do. You know what I'm saying? Man, it's the unrest of life. When we get to the end of our rope that we realize man, I can't do this, I don't have enough, I am not enough, this world doesn't offer enough. That's the whole point, because there is one who is, and he has come into the world as the light of the world that we might have hope in him, and yet we are still in Advent because we are waiting for the day that he comes again. He said he was coming the first time, and he did. Now he said he's coming a second time, and we can count on that, brother. He'll be coming to get us. You know, this word Advent is an ancient Latin word that means coming, but it's like if you could imagine that word coming just drenched with angst and anticipation. It's not like, yeah, I'll be there in just a second. It's, we're on the way, 
we're coming. Hold tight. Yeah, but when? You know, I mean, the food's ready. You know, it's in the oven. I've been cooking all day. When are y'all going to get here? Well, we're on our way. Don't worry about it. It's just drenched with anticipation and angst. Like, I need to know because I want to be ready for you. Because I want you here. But Advent is a reminder that for centuries the world had to wait for the coming. For centuries God had promised that he was going to send his son into the world to rescue the world. And for centuries we waited. For millennia we waited. And then finally... After 400 years of God God not saying a word, the silence of the intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew, at the end of all of that waiting and all of that hoping, God showed up as a baby. So we had to wait some more because God had to learn how to walk and he had to go to kindergarten and he had to learn carpentry and he had to grow an influence in the community Now, you think God is trying to get a message across to us through our advent? Waiting isn't the absence of God. Waiting is his presence in our story. Are you waiting for something? Are you longing for something? Are you in advent in your life and in your story right now? Look no further than the manger for your reminder that it's the love of God to allow his people to wait and then wait some more because it is in our waiting, listen, and only in our waiting that we have a heightened sensitivity of the microscopic movements of God. If life's just clicking along just how we want it, we don't have the heightened sensitivity of the microscopic moves of God. We're not looking for it. We don't need it. We're doing just fine. But it's interesting when we're waiting, when we've been praying, when we've been hoping that all of a sudden we're looking around every corner. That hope is causing us to peer very keenly into the future and every little microscopic movement of God, we're starting to take notice of it. It is in our waiting and only in our waiting that we have a heightened sensitivity to the still, small voice. Because the same reason why ancient Israel, many of them missed him, is because the same reason why many of us do today. We're expecting God to move in the big and the loud. We're expecting the voice of God to be thunderous. Not realizing that the voice of God is more like the sound of rising bread in the oven. That if you aren't listening really closely, you'll miss it all together. And that's why he causes us to wait. He causes us to long, he causes us to pray that we would have a heightened sensitivity to be able to hear his voice and see him move in our lives and in our stories. And Isaiah reminds us in the resume of Jesus that while we wait in hopeful anticipation, listen, we're we're among the blessed generations, I say this every year, we get to look back over our shoulder at the Savior who came. Imagine living in the world as we were waiting on him to come the first time, especially in 400 years of God being silent. How hard that would have been. No revelation, no big moves of God in worship services, like none of that, he was quiet. And then Jesus showed up into the world the first time 
And though we are not an advent for his initial arrival, we too are an advent for his return. Because life is messy. <laughs> the words of Isaiah are just as true for us today as it was to them then. We can wait with hopeful anticipation on the wonderful counselor, on the mighty God, on the everlasting father, on the prince of peace. He is up to something. He is working something out for his glory and for our good. And while we wait, he attunes our ears to see his microscopic movements and the world around us and attunes our ears to hear his voice. And while we are waiting, Grace Bible, we can find hope because we have a wonderful counselor. Say wonderful counselor. A wonderful counselor. Isn't it great to have a good counselor when you're going through a hard time? It's even better to have a great counselor. You know what I'm saying? Somebody that can sit across the table from you when you're going through the mess of life and they're able to like use their skills to help rightly parse your life apart and peel back the layers of the onion to help you find the root cause of your big issue and then help you work towards and discover for yourself some solutions in your life that you can start putting into play. Isn't it great to have good counselors and great counselors in our lives? Like, but man, this guy, he's the wonderful counselor. It's awesome to have somebody that can sit across the table from you and help you discover what it is that you need to discover about yourself and learn and grow from it, but it's an altogether different experience when the person is sitting across the table from you, says, man, I've been where you've been. I felt what you felt. I feel the pain that you're feeling right now because I've walked in those shoes before, but I've made it out. Come follow me. And Jesus the writer of Hebrews says this of our wonderful counselor. We do not have a high priest in Hebrews chapter 4.15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. But one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet was without sin. Some of y'all didn't hear that, so I'm going to help you out and read it again. If you checked out, check back in. For we do not have a great high priest, this Jesus, who is the great high priest. We do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet was without sin. Let us then with confidence, say confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in a time of need. That is a wonderful counselor right there who sits across the table from us and looks us in the eyes and says, I've felt that pain before. I've been there before. I've carried that weight before. I've struggled with that temptation before. This is the reality of the situation you're dealing with, but I've been there before. I've worn those garments of hardship before, and I've made it through, and this is the way. That's a wonderful counselor. You know, when we use the word wonderful in our language, we think of really good or pleasing. But in the ancient Hebrew, the word wonderful is the word pella. Say pella. Yeah, and the word wonderful in Hebrew, it literally means miraculous. Miraculous counselor. A counselor of wonder. It's like, in other words, Jesus can do for you what nothing else and no one else can do for you. He's the wonderful counselor. He's the wonderful counselor. And that's why we can rest assured and we can rest assured in him that he is the source of our hope. 
He is the one that can generate it in us. He is the one that can protect us and protect the hope that is in us and continue to fortify that hope we have. He is the source of our hope. But don't just stop there. Don't just stop it. All right, Jesus, I need some hope from you because I'm feeling hopeless right now. That's only half the journey. That's only half the gospel story. Because not only is he the source of our hope, he must also be the object of our hope. That our hope would be fixed on him, that our hope is found in him. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, because it'll let you down, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. You picking up what I'm putting down here? Jesus is not just the source of our hope. He he has to be the focus of our hope. Or get ready to continue on in hopelessness. Because all other ground is seeking sand. That's not the absence of the love of God. That all other ground is sinking sand. That's a declaration of the love of God that every other prop that you might lean yourself up against is gonna fall out from under you so you realize there's only one stable. There's only one worthy of my hope. There's only one that can support me and carry me through this story of life. And it's Jesus, it's just Jesus, no one else. He is the preeminent one, he is first place. He cannot be stopped and he cannot be topped and he is the only one worthy of our hope being focused on him. But the the question is, is like, yeah, y'all worship the Lord. Go ahead. That's fine. Y'all get a little Pentecostal. Let's worship the Lord. Go ahead. Let's worship the Lord. Our hope is fixed on him. Yeah. Man, we got a pile of Baptists up in here. Y'all are dragging us down. Y'all are like a parachute. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I grew up Southern Baptist, so I can make Baptist jokes. I mean, what is, what is it that you're hoping for right now? Be honest. What is it? What is it that the hope of your heart is fixed on right now? I, if I'm going to be honest with you, what you hope for is what you will live for. So what are you, what, what are you hoping in right now? It, it, is your hope fixed on just finishing the semester strong, students? Is your hope fixed on family being able to make it in for the holidays? Is your hope fixed on family not being able to make it for the holidays? Is your hope that daddy will stay sober for the Christmas party this year? Is your hope that your boyfriend will finally pop the question? What is it, what is it that your soul is just hoping for right now? We're easily distracted away because, listen, like, we... we by God's design, he hardwired us for hope. Hardwired for hope. But yet he designed a world that in every way would not be able to satisfy us so that after so much disappointment and hope deferred and unanswered questions, 
as every prop in our life begins to fall, that hopefully our hope would finally be fixed on him. That'll never fail us and never let us down and it'll be true and steadfast. Listen, somebody just thought right now, oh, Jesus has definitely let me down before. No, he hasn't. Your expectations that you heaped on Jesus let you down. He didn't let you down. He keeps every promise and he always has. And much like Israel, they were let down because they had already decided how they needed to be saved. And so they missed the Savior of the world right in front of their face. I wonder where God is standing in your story right now, right in front of your face, but you're missing him because you have already decided how you expect him to show up. And now you feel let down by him because you heaped an expectation on him that he didn't tell you to trust in him for. He just said, trust in me. Let me set the expectation and you'll never be disappointed. He is the source of our hope. If our hope remains focused on him. Advent is a reminder of that in our story. Listen, um, hope does have an adversary though. It's called worry. And this is why hope is always intertwined with unrest because we hope in things that we don't have control over, just like we worry about things we don't have any control over. That's why hope and unrest are always intertwined together. Don't believe me, just watch your kids and grandkids on Christmas Eve. It's hope that keeps them up late and it's hope that gets them up early because hope is always intertwined with unrest. It's hope that does the same to us and our story, but let's call it what it is. If Hope is tied to unrest because we so often hope in things that are unsure. Kind of like your kids on Christmas Eve wondering if you or Santa brought them what it is that they actually asked for. And if hope is tied to unrest because so much of our hope is in things that are unsure, then why wouldn't we want to fix our hope on something that is sure, that is steadfast, that is proven, that is timeless, that is ancient? Our God is the ancient of days. He has always been. He will always be. He is paramount. The mountains melt like wax before him. The scriptures tell us all of heaven worships him by declaring his holiness over and over and over again. His love is so tested and tried and true that there was no place too far that he wouldn't go, no hole too dark that he wouldn't crawl into to rescue us. The, the vastness of his love and the intricacy of his character was all displayed in the life of Jesus. Like, why wouldn't we want to focus our hope on what is sure and concrete and stable and timeless? Listen, all this junk that we're dealing with in life right now will one day pass away. What, what you were freaking out about on November 27th, 2022, in a hundred years from now, ain't gonna matter a hill of beans. You ain't gonna care if you even remember it. You know what will be steady and stable and steadfast? Those who hoped in Jesus. 
those who fixed their eyes and their life on him. Because all other ground is sinking sand. You know, Psalm chapter 62, verse 5 through 8, has these powerful words. I'm going to read it to you from a translation we don't typically use. I, I teach out of the ESV because of its accuracy. I'm going to read it to you from the message translation for its readability so that we all can feel it and digest it. This is what Psalm 62, 5 through 8 in the message translation, this is how it says. God, the one and only, I'll wait as long as he says. Whoo, what a declaration. Mm. Everything I hope for comes from him, so why not? He's solid rock under my feet. He is breathing room for my soul. He is an impenetrable castle, so I am set for life. My help and glory are in God, his granite strength and safe harbor, God. So trust him absolutely, people. Lay your lives on the line for him, people, for God is a safe place to be. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, because it'll let you down, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray together. Lord, we long, we long to be satisfied. We long to have our needs met and our wants met and our hopes realized. But the reality of our situation this morning is we're falling short. There's holes in our story. There's broken things that we're carrying. There's burdens that feel so heavy. But Advent reminds us, and we believe, we don't always feel it. I don't, I don't feel it even this morning. But we believe and we know that you are the source of our hope. You are the steadfast anchor for our soul. Lord, would you teach us how to focus our hope on you. That our eyes and our hearts and our agendas would be fixed on you. And our timelines would submit to you. Lord, we thank you for the gift of Jesus stepping into the world to save the world through his life, death, and resurrection. Lord, and we celebrate that as you have kept every promise throughout the millennia, innumerable prophecies being fulfilled, written since the ancient of days, fulfilled in the life of Jesus. Lord, we trust that because you said you're coming back for us, you're coming back. 
And as we wait in Advent and longing for that day, would you attune our ears to the still, small voice of God, who is the wonderful counselor showing us the way. But we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.